Hi, folks. Keith Jones for Front Row Knowles. We appreciate your listening to our podcasts and all the things that uh, go into what we do in terms of watching Florida State Athletics. But we would remind you that part of Florida State Athletics is certainly Seminole Boosters. Uh, athletics can't do what they do without the support of you and without the support of Seminole Boosters. So we encourage you, if you're not already a member, consider joining Seminole Boosters. If you are a member, consider increasing your participation. Without Seminole Boosters, Florida State Athletics is going to be run of the mill. With Seminole Boosters, Florida State can work their way towards elite. And oh, by the way, they're doing pretty good on the football field. They're doing pretty good on the pitch for soccer. Uh, and they're uh, getting ready to do good on both the men and women's side on the hardwood. Join Seminole Boosters, support Seminole Boosters, and continue to support Front Row Knowles. Go Knowles! Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good afternoon, Tom Black and Keith Jones with you. We welcome you to Front Row Knoll. KJ, it's good to see you, sir. How are you? It's uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm glad this cold weather is a little bit behind us in Tallahassee, and uh, maybe we'll have some moderate temperatures moving forward. Uh, not to be confused with the basketball team that goes really hot of late. That was a big win over Syracuse. We'll talk about that with Kurt Weiler in our next segment. I didn't look it up, and we're recording right after that game ended, Keith. I don't recall going to Syracuse and being up by 15 or 20 with a few minutes to go. Did that happen in your day? Not not that I recall. Not that I recall. And and I've said this before. I'm sure I'll say it again. But, you know, that dome is a difficult place to play in. Your sight lines are different. The, the You know, the, the football field runs north and south. The basketball court runs east and west. Uh, it, it's just a difficult place to play, not to not to uh, you know minimize the fact that sometimes they have twenty twenty two thousand people there screaming their head off. Hey Keith, as a, as a side note, we'll t- again we'll talk more about basketball. Uh, we don't talk much NFL here. That's that's not our deal. But did you watch the Bills and Chiefs on uh, Sunday? I did. So you and I were among the fifty million plus that watched that game. That number, I mean, the NFL always does much bigger numbers than college but when you hear 50 million and and i don't recall what the the michigan national title game got that was pretty good that might have been 20 or 25 but for example fsu lsu was in the 8 to 10 million range i think i'm not looking at it right now it might have been 10 million it's amazing that the nfl i mean that's why it's so dominant to do that kind of number for the bills chiefs there uh, uh, there's something about the shield and that's why they protect it so hard yeah, I guess well said. It's also, uh, and I don't know, this is, and we're not going to go down this rabbit hole today, but if FSU ends up in the Big Ten, you know, we, we talk about these two conferences, but if it does materialize that way, these two super conferences, one of the one of the big differences would be that the NCC is going to wind up much more regional in the Southeast, and the Big Ten really is going to be national. Now, it's a lot of conjecture right now, but, I mean, you already added West Coast schools. If you did add FSU in Carolina or FSU in Miami, I'm just curious what that might do to the the TV numbers. Well, and, and, you know, one of the things we haven't also talked about is the fact when you look at, for example, FSU baseball and FSU softball, they've been playing national schedules for the last 10 years. We just haven't said much about it. 
you know, because they they leave for three or four days and play two or three games. But football is going to get there. We we've we've talked about, and our good friend Gene Deckerhoff has always mentioned that you know when the Bucks have to travel to the West Coast or when West Coast teams have to travel to the East Coast, that's now unfortunately going to be a part of the college football framework as well. Cal is coming into the ACC at a cut rate this year, Keith, and they're going to come to Tallahassee. They're also playing at Auburn this year. I think they play at Wake Forest, at Pitt, and at SMU. So they're going to split up those five trips. Maybe there's another one in there over the 14 weeks of the season as college athletes, and my body's tired thinking about that. The the biggest thing about it, Tommy, that, that I'll recall from my limited travels 45 years ago and then 30 years of traveling for broadcasting, 35 years, it's not the amount of time in the plane. It's the time adjustments. It's the time adjustments. You would think a two or three hour time adjustment wouldn't affect you, but it does. It absolutely does. It's a, it's just one of those things about the human body that, that people way, way, way more intelligent than I do would have to explain to me. All right, we got to take a break. Kurt Weiler is uh, in the on-deck circle, and uh, he'll join us from the Osceola right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back to Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones with you, and Kurt Weiler is our Osceola Insider this week as we open up the Earl Bacon Agency, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And, gents, we're going to do something we haven't done in a very long time, and then it's start by talking basketball for just a moment because we've not given Leonard's team its due. We're recording right after Florida State disposed of Syracuse by whatever it was. It was running close to a 20-point game, finished 15-17. I, I don't know that I saw that one coming as well as they've been playing. The one game I've gone to this year, and I'll take the fall for it, was the Clemson game on Saturday. So I'll be sure to stay away from the tuck, and Leonard and the boys can keep winning. But, Kurt, general thoughts on that performance at Cuse? Yeah, I mean, Leonard Hamilton has built his career on on improbable rallies and and kind of being make, rallying his teams when people count him out. This might be the most improbable. I mean, I think it, it it's it, – it, when they were sitting, what, six and six a few weeks ago, I mean, had just lost to Lipscomb and, and since have rattled off six wins in seven games. They're tied for second in the ACC. I mean, it is uh, with the bench points, with how they're defending, with how connected they are. I mean, it looks like the teams of old, and I'm, I'm not sure I thought I would ever get to say that again in Leonard Hamilton's tenure. So what I hear you saying, Kurt, is Lipscomb has become the football equivalent of Jacksonville State maybe. That is the point you look back at. Yes, yes. Not quite as devastating, that one. But, hey, it, so they found something there. 27-11 and 11 for Jameer Watkins. I mean, that's that's a pretty healthy uh, result right there. Yeah, I think his previous career high was, was 20, and he tied his career high with 11 boards as well. I mean, he uh, he's not going to be that guy every night, but he showed. I mean, he kind of went toe-to-toe with, I think people think, one of the better players in the ACC and Judah Mintz. And I think kind of outplayed them tonight. I mean, I think uh, it was uh, impressive all around. And they really, I mean, they did it in the clutch. I think it was like a three-point game late. And then they ended the game on like a 22-9 run or something in that neighborhood. Really, in a hostile atmosphere, uh, took took advantage late. And I think that's the first time Syracuse lost at home this year. 
guys, I will tell you, I've done a number of games, a number of basketball games from the Dome. And they talk about sight lines and they talk about, um, you know, atmosphere. And that is a very intimidating place to, to play. I don't care if it is the first year since Bayheim's been gone. Uh, that is a very, you mentioned it, very hostile and difficult environment. Uh, that's a great big step for this program and a great learning step for the young young kids. That's three in a row on the road, I think, for them. And I, I took a picture at the end of the game there behind the FSU bench. I've never seen empty bleachers at the dome, you know, like Prince, formerly known as the Carrier Dome, the, the JMA Wireless Dome, which last I heard still doesn't have wireless in it, but just like the Carrier Dome didn't have AC, so they're continuing. But it finally, it finally got AC once it wasn't the Carrier Dome. Yes, yes. So if they go back to that, they'll lose the AC, but they'll get better connectivity. Just remember, anyway. guys, just remember, guys, your colleague is so old that when he played Syracuse, <laughs> the dome had not even been built, and it's been around forever. Well, we'll finish on on a basketball talk on this note. I don't I don't know him, but but Brent Axe is uh he's a radio sports radio guy up in the Syracuse area. And he tweeted uh, something uh with about 5 minutes ago in the game about what a bad loss this is for Cuse because it's a quad 3 loss. And I thought, "Hey, hey, we're moving to quad 2 here if you keep winning the AC. At some point we got to move up, right? I know Lipskin can hold you down, but so seriously, I said we'd finish up. They're 6 and 2. So they won 75% of their games through 8. That leaves 12 games to go. So if you win 75% of those, you're, well, I, I guess, uh, nine and three, right? So if you had nine and three and, and six and two, and you get to 15 and five in the conference and 21 wins overall, I mean, you're going to the tournament if that happens, right? Despite the non-con. That's what it would take. I feel like because of the disservices they did themselves in the non-conference with, with not only Lipscomb, but I mean, a, a pretty uncompetitive loss to USF down at the Orange Bowl Classic and a, a double-digit loss at home to SMU as well. They kind of did themselves no favors with those. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I didn't really think this could be a tournament team. They they beat Carolina at, at home on Saturday, and I guess a, a match of what's going to be a team that's first in the ACC and tied for second in the ACC. Uh, they're they're kind of starting to make me really believe that they could, against plenty of odds, be a tournament team. Because, yeah, at a certain point uh, – a resume that good even if i mean i think the acc is pretty top heavy this year it would seem florida state's in that top tier i, I didn't have them there but uh it, it, even in a maybe not great top to bottom acc i think 15 wins and something of that degree especially if they parlay that into acc tournament success can't be ignored well certainly the playoff committee would take how they're playing of late into consideration hey. would they not as long as they don't have an injury. Like, if Jameer Watkins got hurt in that last game, that would be a real blow. Like, they, the committee might leave him out because of that. I don't know what the statute of limitations is on playoff jokes, but I feel like it's infinity, and we're going to keep yes. going with those. We're not Keith, close. Keith, that beard, my beard, I can't even grow a beard, but I'll have a gray beard by the time. We'll still be talking about this on Front Row Knowles. Likely right. so. Uh, Kurt, I know you did a big story about uh, sort of the – the, the pro football focus, I guess, ratings of the of the players in the portal and whatnot. We'll get to that next segment. But as, in light of the ACC schedule coming out, and for our listeners' sake, uh, if you're listening live, you're listening on Wednesday in the in the lunch hour. We're, we're recording on Tuesday night, and the ACC is not formally releasing the ACC schedule until Wednesday afternoon. That said, we know about half of it, and we know the opponents. 
And so out of the gates, you got Georgia Tech and Ireland, and then you're going to come back. You'll have you'll have time to rest because it's a Monday night game at home against Boston College. We don't know this yet, but I presume then then after Labor Day Monday, you'll get a bye week, and then you'll play Memphis at home the second Saturday in, in September. And then it was announced you get a Friday night at Duke game in mid-October. In November, you've got at Notre Dame, uh, then, then a week that, that may be a bye week, maybe an opponent, and then you get Charleston Southern and Florida at home. But this is this is something I'd, I'd lost track of. Florida State's going to have three bye weeks this year because they're playing week zero, and the way the calendar falls, everybody's getting two. So I don't know what's going to be announced later today, but it feels like I can't hate it too much. What, what do you think about what we know so far, Kurt? Uh, yeah, I think what we know so far, it, it spaces out things pretty well. I mean, I think uh, not to take Georgia Tech Boston College lightly, and then I guess we're assuming the third game will be Memphis. I, I think the bye is going to happen there because, like you said, they have to have three, so you assume one's going to be pretty early in the year. That is a, a nicer way to ease into a season, especially a season where you have some question marks, where you have replacing a lot of guys. Then the LSU that you've had on the schedule the last few years, then you the Alabama and Georgia you have on the, the schedule to early in the season, uh, the, the next couple of years after this one. This kind of uh, lined up well, I dare say. I'm curious, obviously, I mean, the, the, two big, uh, the two big games, we don't know the dates for yet. We always know where Florida's going to be. Clemson and Miami, I mean, it, they could do you a real they could do you a real blow or really challenge you if those two are close together. If they're in consecutive weeks, there's not much time between them. But uh there's plenty of gaps in there where I think if you they space those out, it does space out pretty well. I mean, they could put one of those around that trip to Notre Dame and that could be a challenge too. But uh what we have and we seven games we know when and when and where they'll be. That I mean we only have five left to figure out tomorrow, but uh I, I like where it's at now for sure. Uh, Tom has always, Kurt, advocated that you needed at least two buys. So uh, the block household is going to be ecstatic that you're playing in week zero and have three buys. That That's just going to be like an early Christmas present to the block household. I, I predict that the AHG Warner soccer schedule on those three bye weekends will have me in Mobile one weekend, maybe Fleming Island, another, and probably down in Gainesville on the third. So I'll probably be out of town at sporting events anyway those weekends, KJ. But I, I have been advocating for two bye weeks for a while. Um, Kurt, this is the the depth of the research that's ever been done on front row Knowles. Uh, I looked at the remaining opponents, and if you look at September 21st, which is technically week four, and it's the week after the Memphis game, the yeah. only two opponents FSU could play that day are Cal or Clemson because everybody else has games. And my thought is it will probably be Clemson because two weeks before that weekend, Cal is playing at Auburn. Now, Cal has five, four East Coast trips this year, so maybe the league doesn't care and they'll stick them with another. But anyway, September 21st is going to be Cal or Clemson. And, and that's the same week that FSU was at Clemson last year, so it kind of feels to me like that'll be that one which, and again, this is conjecture, which means the, the biggest snafu potentially is down the road if you get Miami and Notre Dame in back-to-back weeks, which, as you pointed out, that, that maybe could be the toughest thing you're going to have to navigate. And let's be real, the ACC, although they wouldn't admit to it, may be motivated to not give Florida State the softest schedule with where the state of things are with everything. I think you're right on Clemson. I don't think those are kind of the top two teams. I think the ACC is pretty wide open but i mean for the two teams that have been the the tops of the conference over the last few decades 
I think the ACC wants to put that earlier in the year like they did this year now that they can play theoretically still hasn't happened in the ACC title game. So, yeah, I think uh, I I like that, uh, like putting Clemson there as well. But uh, interesting. I mean, I I wouldn't be shocked if Miami's on either side of those just because of uh, of of where things are. But uh, we'll we'll find out soon enough how how much the ACC kind of didn't hide that it has it out for Florida State. So you're, so you're actually not even pretending that the ACC won't screw Florida State over everything that's happening outside and off of the football well, field. Florida State fans have always kind of felt that from the ACC. I think they kind of haven't felt felt they haven't. I, I don't always subscribe to it. Sometimes I think it's a little blown out of proportion or a little persecution complex. Uh, I, I think it would be if this thing falls a certain way, if Miami's on either side of Notre Dame, I think it'd be easy to say, well, they weren't exactly motivated to, uh, you know, I mean, it's, to me, it, 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 it's an easy way the ACC could kind of stick it to Florida State while stuck in this lawsuit and, well, maybe not well positioned in this lawsuit. See, I thought Coach Kokorian was the only one that had a real beef with the way the ACC scheduled games. I'm being enlightened here. There's some irony Kurt and Keith to the fact, and I know this was agreed on. It was, I think it, most of us in the media knew it hadn't been publicly announced about the Monday night Labor Day game yeah. against uh, Boston College. But there's some irony to the ACC putting FSU in its marquee window on opening weekend to draw the best ratings, which is what FSU has been pointing out about the way they get used. Uh, in other words, if the ACC could walk that back, I think they'd like to put FSU at like noon that Saturday. But uh, that the toothpaste is already out of the tube there. Hey, what do you think? Uh, well, both of you. I mean, given where we've come in the portal in two weeks, this is a very early. And again, as we're talking, we don't know how the games line up. We do know there's three bye weeks and we know the 12 opponents. You know, what do you think the floor is or what do you think reality uh, potentially is? What's the window for what this team can be as you sit here right now, having not seen spring practice, having not seen who else they're going to bring into the program? I think everything, much like the last couple of three years, guys, everything revolves around the quarterback. The Norvell offense needs a quarterback that can make decisions, has the threat to run the ball, and can throw the, the the normal passes. It doesn't have to be a great passer, although Jordan worked his way into being a great passer. He just has to be absolutely sure of his decisions, has to have a threat of run, and then has to be able to deliver the ball when he has to deliver it. Can FSU have that quarterback from game one and moving forward and improving? That, to me, will will decide what the season looks like. Kurt? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think obviously I think uh, the ceiling isn't probably as high as as last year. I think the the floor is, is a bit lower. I mean, I think there's a world where where especially if if things don't go right at quarterback, if there's an injury or something like that. I mean, I think six or seven wins is on the table. But I think with what they've done in the portal, I have some questions. I want to see what the defense in particular looks like this spring. I think I definitely feel better about the offense going into spring than I do the defense. But I, I think this team could absolutely win nine or ten and be right there for, I mean, the ACC championship and uh, and a playoff spot. Well, and there's twelve teams in the playoff. I'm looking. I'm looking at the calendar now. So, you know, you get three weeks during the regular season. If you make the playoff, you play. Well, you'd you'd be in the ACC championship game. I would assume. I can't really see a scenario where FSU's not in the ACC no. championship game, but somehow makes the playoff. See last year, right? Um, 
you'd, you'd get another bye week on December 14th while we all watch Army and Navy and the Heisman ceremony. And then the next weekend, you'd but well, you could have a bye in the playoff, but I don't think that's going to happen again based on last year's playoff. You could host a game is what you could do on December 20th, 21st. You could have a bye, though, because the top four have to be from four different conferences. They're only going to be one SEC and one Big Ten team in the top in the top four. That's how that's breaking down. So in theory, the ACC will probably most years be a be have a top four conference champion and make it a bye. I didn't, I didn't realize that wrinkle. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Five to twelve is going to be loaded with the SEC Big Ten, but they don't get the whole top four. And then the question becomes: What's the latest game that's been played in Dope Campbell Stadium? And you may be looking at it well, if you get that far. Are they going to be, I mean, would they be hosting a playoff game? They'd have temporary seating still. The construction, the, sta- the stadium will still be under construction. Also also a factual statement. I feel like the Wake Forest game that got canceled in the COVID year was pushing up against December 20th, plus or minus, when they kept adding games. But it wasn't played. So you're right, Keith, if you got one there, that would be something to host a playoff game. That would be fun. I'd, I'd look forward to that wrinkle. All right. Kurt, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about uh, the work you did on the Osceola this week, and uh, you can enlighten us a little bit more. Stay with us. More Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Weiler, our guest from the Osceola, our Osceola insider who's on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. All right, Kurt, give our listeners uh, a little rundown on uh, the research you did and and what you trotted out earlier this week on the Osceola in terms of the new additions to Florida State's roster and and, uh, sort of how they grade out. Yeah, I think uh, pro football focused, you kind of you take it with a grain of salt because I think uh, they don't pay them. It's pro football focused. I don't think they put as much time into college. There are a lot more games than there are. NFL, but I do think it's a valuable tool for, I mean, the stats they keep that are kind of more in-depth stats than the base level tackles, things of that sort. And also they, they grade guys. So yeah, I did a, I ran on, on Monday, a story looking at the, uh, the numbers of the offensive guys that Florida state's brought in. And then uh Wednesday morning, this, this morning, I, I, I ran a story on the defensive guys. Um, I think uh, I, I, one thing I like about DJ Uyunglele, I know a lot of people were in love with the Cam Ward. They're probably frustrated that after that whole debacle, he ended up at Miami when he's originally not going back to college at all. Um, Kim Ward fumbled a lot. DJ actually took very good care of the ball. I also really like when it comes to DJ Uyunglele, was had, was I think top 15 or so nationally in big, big time throw percentage, which is a PFS stat, essentially like a impressive downfield throw. How, how, how many of your throws are especially impactful or very nice throws. And while being high there was was relatively low in, in turnover-worthy plays, I think he he opened it up downfield, took a lot of shots, protected the ball well. I think that is a great trait. I think that's frankly a trait that uh, that became something of, of Jordan Travis's game. So that carrying over paired with what he brings in the run game with his uh, big frame, I think, is a, is a big deal. I don't know if you want to go position by position or you can kind of ask me about guys and I can tell you what, what my numbers kind of told me. Let me just interject first, not to have a whole conversation about DJU and Cam Ward, but I don't, we need to not 
neglect the fact that taking the commitment when they did, I think, started the momentum in the portal. And if you play that game and wait another two weeks to get Cam Ward and or have to double your NIL or whatever Miami had to do to get him to pull out of the NFL draft, who knows if you have these guys that we're about to talk about. Um, I'm curious, you know, this is a – it's a broad statement, Kurt, but it feels like what they brought in in the portal this time around is less experience but more raw talent and ability. Uh, maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. I mean, you you did the numbers, but who offensively jumped out? I mean, you get past DJU, they took some receivers, they took some OL, they took a utility player that's a good returner as well. Uh, you know, did anybody jump off the page there? Yeah, it's, on offense, there are a number of, of guys who kind of, I would say, fit the mold of more what they could become instead of what they currently are. I think Jalen Brown, the, uh, the the LSU wide receiver transfer, is a great example of that. He was heavily recruited by Florida State out of high school, was only at LSU one year, kind of has four years in front of him, redshirted this year, didn't play a ton. But I think uh, they're both him and Malik Benson, the other receiver they brought in, both kind of known for their speed, both ran track in high school. That to me says, I mean, they are building the offense a certain way. That's what they are currently valuing. Cause I think uh, Keon Coleman and, and Johnny Wilson did a lot of things well, but they were not top level speed wide receivers. So it's kind of a, a pivot a bit in terms of what those guys and what you're looking for, what they're going to bring to the table. Uh, Jalen Lucas, I'll be interested to see how they use him. Uh, KJ. I mean, I know how much you love, Ja'Kai Douglas, there's now two of them because it's his brother who is very similar body type to his, a very similar skill set, I would bet is going to be used very similarly all around the offense, is also a electric kick returner. In his two years at Indiana, he returned three kickoffs for touchdowns, which, I mean, that is, uh, that, that's eye-popping for sure because it feels like that happens less and less in uh, in today's game. Uh, Royda Williams feels like a, a important kind of rotational type piece. I think he's just a gives you more options because especially at running back where you he likes to play three guys where injuries can happen. I mean, it's a very physical position. I think just having more guys there is a big deal. And I think he uh, actually, I mean, I think of Alabama's main running backs this year averaged the most yards per carry, which feel, feels noteworthy when that was a, a big part of their offense with with how it was built with Jalen Milrow. And then on the offensive line, it's, it's experience with Richie Leonard, who was just the full – your starter and uh Terrence Ferguson from Alabama two guards because that's I think your biggest need when you lost both your starting guards off this year's team and I'm not sure either of them are sure fire starters but it more just gives you more guys to to have in the mix especially in the spring to uh, see how that shakes out Kurt just coincidence or is there an underlying theme that you what was it five kids from Alabama I think four Four? but still I mean mean, it's four of 14 is there something there? Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to a, a, a number of them. Florida State recruited out of high school. It speaks to recruit material, and it feels like that's become a transfer portal storyline of you, you. Some teams, I mean, you're recruiting guys for the initial recruitment. You're hoping to win, but I think coaches have also started to kind of be like, if he were to enter the portal, it'd be nice to keep recruiting him for that potential second recruitment. I think we've seen that payoff with Earl Little was an example of that. Terrence Ferguson was an example of that. So, and I think a few others, I mean, Jalen Brown, maybe not Alabama guys. I mean, I think <laughs> Alabama recruits at a very high level. They're talented kids, but for the most part, the Alabama guys they brought in are are less proven, but but were very talented recruits out of high school, many of them top 100 overall recruits. And so uh, I think it's, I mean, I, there's a mix of, I mean, 
just the seeing the talent there and and i mean you know how talent you know how nick saban recruited he was i mean elite 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 in that regard and so i think it's it's that i think it's prior relationships and i think it's also just i mean who comes open at the positions you need and 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 it just so worked out that a few positions of need for florida state alabama had guys who kind of entered the portal even like around when uh or before i think in a lot of cases when nick saban retired I just pulled up the list, and it's uh, Malik Benson, Terrence Ferguson, Earl Little, uh, Roy yeah. Dell Williams, and Sean Murphy committed late. Oh, it's five. It is my my bad, KJ. Yeah, and plus the kid. For once, who's, I uh, was right, you know, guys. For once, I was right. Keith, yeah. See, I tried to interject that and and give you kudos on that. Uh, what yeah. about what about defensively, Kurt? Uh, anybody's numbers uh, or or any stats you looked at from Pro Football Focus that really said you, you said, "Wow, look at this." Yeah, I think defense, especially defensive line with all their losing, is where they value bringing in more experience. They're not looking so much for maybe future pieces as much as they're looking for, we're losing Jared Verse, we're losing a number of guys on the inside, we're going to have a lot of new guys in that too deep rotation there. We need experience. And I mean, that's where a guy like Sione Lolohe from Oregon State comes in, who's, I mean, coming with one year left, has played a lot of college football at Oregon State. Uh, I think the similar can be said for, I mean, uh, so, pronunciation. I think Jerry wrote a pronunciation guide story because this is uh, there are a lot of them. I think it's Tomiwa Duruje is the West Virginia transfer. It was also Kentucky. He's a more impactful youngster, but I thought in one year at West Virginia was very good, really in all facets, pretty well rounded. I think he's a guy who maybe could play inside or outside, which I think is just an asset. I mean, anytime you can have a guy like here, here Thomas was able to do that, like Braden Fisk was able to do that. Some I think that's a uh, that's that's pretty valuable and then obviously i mean marvin jones jr is a is a, a relationship guy didn't play a ton at georgia but i thought uh when he played i mean the numbers are pretty good pretty favorable for for him and i think uh a bigger role could could be uh, uh, uh what he needs to kind of take the next step because he just couldn't in his two years there break into i mean a really tough too deep to break into Kurt, just as long as somebody explains that once they cross that georgia florida line alabama florida line if the name is difficult, they get a nickname, and that's okay. We don't do real good pronunciations. They're going to get nicknames. Hey, we may do them better than Georgia and Alabama now, though. Come on. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Well, he was from West Virginia, which they may have struggled with that one up there, too. Keith, if you're from Wildwood, you even take a name like Keith Jones, and you come up with a nickname, and we go with KJ just to make sure we get it right. I'm sorry. What's your point? I'm just stating the obvious here. Hey, <laughs> Kurt, not so much the portal, but of the guys who have come back and there's been a lot of deals or NIL deals announced by the battle's end. Uh, are you surprised that they were able to retain as much as they would? Anything that's developed since the Orange Bowl to right now that you thought, man, I I didn't think they're going to have those guys back at this position or this guy, anything like that? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the big ones, and I'm not sure I ever really thought they were going. I think they both could have thought they could go and, and explore the NFL where, where Josh Farmer and Daryl Jackson, I think they, they have often been group thinking of the high school teammates. They play the same position, getting both of them back, having them be, you're probably starting two next year, at defensive tackle. I think when you're losing what Braden Fisk and Fabian Lovett and Malcolm Ray and Dennis Briggs, I think that getting those two back was a, a, a big deal. Um, it, I think it's pleasantly surprising as well, I would say, to see, uh, I mean, Kentron Portier still around, Ja'Kai Douglas still around. 
it's not to say, I mean, I think they'll have important roles, but I think, especially in today's college football, plenty of guys in their shoes may have, I mean, especially when they brought in two more receivers this offseason, said, you know, I, I think I just want to go somewhere else where, where I feel a little more wanted. But uh, they've definitely bought all the way in, and it's nice to see uh, both of them back because I think they are both going to play important roles next year. I mean, Kentron, we go back. Kentron was probably my the, the player that impressed me most of anyone in the spring. This is I, – I don't know that uh, you've had a chance to to consider this, but, you know, there was a little bit made last year that Norvell studied uh, – well, the staff studied a lot of how Georgia handled its defensive line in terms of the rotation, and that's what FSU was doing. You know, as they stepped back this year, and, and obviously they played Georgia head-to-head, so maybe Norvell and company will take more from what Kirby's doing – but Georgia wasn't in the playoff. Do you, do you think there's anything as you watched Michigan play or Washington or Alabama or Texas that they would focus on right now and say, uh, and I realize that's broad. I'm just kind of curious when we get to, to mid-October next year and we're asking them questions about why they're doing X, it probably will come out that, you know, they watched Washington play in the, in the playoff and they noticed that the Huskies were doing this. I, I don't know. That's, that's fairly broad, but you're hurt. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to claim to know what they're going to take yet. I will be curious if something like that were to come up, what Mike would talk about. I will say, I think you, you feel confident, whatever those things may be. I think he and his staff have proven to be very good, both over the course of, I mean, year to year, within a season, within games, very good adjusters, very flexible. I mean, it's kind of a, a welcome change from how not that way Jimbo Fisher was. That was the, the, Jimbo Fisher was many things flexible was was not one of them it still isn't one of them i would i would say but i think how i mean how often they adapted game plans in game how often they adapted to what teams do well over the course of a season i think and i'm sure they were watching and looking for those edges they can get because i mean i think they know will will be i I think they're i'm sure they're very confident that they will be on that stage soon enough within the next few years, maybe this year, maybe 2025, who knows? And that the kind of wanting to maximize that opportunity. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Kurt. I think uh, while I'm not around them as much as you are, um, this entire staff uh, is very willing to explore and to uh, consider alternatives. Uh, they're not going to stray from fundamentals, but they're more, more maybe even more likely to embrace change and give it a shot or give it a chance uh, maybe than any staff in a long, long time at Florida State. Kurt, we'll let you go on this. Clemson, as we're talking, has taking, taken exactly zero players out of the portal. Is that correct? I think that's correct. They tried. They tried to recruit a few. They were they were not just – it wasn't Pierce sitting on their hands. Between now and when the season starts – FSU will land more guys out of the portal than Clemson or the other way around? Ooh, obviously. Uh, so I think Florida State's technically above 85 as things currently stand. So the the more they add at this point, the more people they currently on the team they would have to process. Um, I think I might say Clemson there because I think Clemson will try and add at least a few in the post-spring window. Florida State, I think, would love a linebacker or two. I think if, if another – person who at a position of need who who they view as a real asset comes open they'd go for them but uh i i don't think i mean, florida state's already at 14 i don't think they add that that many more 
All right, fair enough. Kurt Weiler from the Osceola catches work at theosceola.com. Appreciate it as always, sir. Thanks, guys. All right, more Front Row Knowles right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Weiler from the Osseo Flitz joining us, Keith. He does, a, he does a good job. He's thorough. And uh, first time I met Kurt, I'm pretty sure he was uh, sports director at V89. I don't know. I don't want to put too much age on him, but it feels like it was 10 years ago. And given my memory, it might have been 15. <laughs> but anyway, uh, he was aspiring to get into the business, and he's and he's done a good job. But uh, I'm more excited. I think I've said this on the show. I'm more excited now as we go into spring and then, and then the new season than I thought I was going to be when I left the orange bowl, not because of the result in that game, just because I knew who wasn't going to be on the team anymore. Well, and and maybe I can put words in your, your mouth more so about the kids, you know, are coming in and you haven't seen them on a practice field before. It'll be the first time you've actually been able to see them. I'm not, I know the tour of duty and the off season workouts, you know, occasionally are open to the media and you can see some things. Uh, But as you and I have always said, until they put the pads on, and it's live, um, the, you know, they're always looking good. They're pretty. They're very attractive in shorts. They look good. But until they put the pads on, you really can't, can't get a feel for how good they might be. Keith, I think you hit the nail on the head. In the college game, I mean, you see it in the pro game, the teams that are, you know, the, I mean, Pat Mahomes wins on the road in Buffalo, right? I mean, Pat Mahomes is a pretty good quarterback. Lamar Jackson pretty good quarterback right that's who's left right now but in the college game the quarterback's even more important and so whether or not you wanted cam ward or somebody else over dju he dju has played a lot of college football and if you build your offense around a guy with that kind of experience i just think it's a better situation than having 10 other guys on offense that have experience if you got a quarterback that's going to need to go out there and cut his teeth for a while does that make sense it does, and I think right, wrong, or indifferent, uh, the college game now mirrors the NFL. The the teams that are successful at the pro level have you know the elite quarterbacks. Everybody else has a really good quarterback, and that same thing holds true now. I think at the college level. I mean, again, just look at at the difference. Even if you'd had someone who had had all of spring and all of fall. In 2023, whether it was Tate or or Brock or anybody else, what would have been different with this Florida State team if Jordan Travis hadn't been the quarterback? I'll say this about Brock. He was very impressed with the progression he made from the ACC championship game to the Orange Bowl. And uh, enough that, you know, I hope he gets a chance, not because of injury, and obviously he'll compete for the job, but you need to get him some reps because I, I there there's some there's some ability there with him, and we haven't even seen Luke come in yet. Exactly, and 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 the things they say about Luke, you know, are far above some of the things they said about other quarterbacks that have come in during the Norville era. I don't want to put him too far up on the on the pedestal, but you know, obviously the raw talent is is what it is. But again, repeating myself, and and our listeners know this. Um, you know, your quarterback kind of dictates how things are going. 
and uh, particularly in an offense that requires the quarterback to read as much as as a Norvell offense does. And also repeating myself with DJU, you do have somebody that's got some wheels. You know, he may not run the ball 12 or 15 times like sometimes you wanted to with Jordan Travis, but the, the threat of four or five is enough to make this Norvell offense complete. More than the wheels, he's got the weight to fall forward. I mean, True. you're, you know, at 245 or whatever, he's going to get a couple yards on, on third and one. Keith, we'll finish up on this. Nobody ever wants to talk about it. This is going to be underrated under the radar. Florida State returns both its specialists and just brought in a, a, a tremendous kick returner to go with Deuce Span. FSU is going to be really good in special teams again, and I, it's not sexy, but it's a difference with the rest of the with the rest of the team. Tommy, again, I, I spend too much time in the past, but my senior year, nineteen eighty, we had the best kicking tandem in the country, in Billy Capice and Ron Stark, and in in the hidden yardage that Jimbo used to talk about, the flipping of the field that all coaches talk about the confidence to go for the 45, 50, and 55-yard field goal with, with assurance that it's probably going to be made. I mean, Capice made, what, four field goals against Nebraska and maybe five against Pittsburgh that year. Um, yes, Florida State will have a distinct advantage, even though it may not show up on the PFF, uh, because they've got both of their specialists back. All right, we are out of time. Uh, we're the only specialist this show has, and I use that term lightly, but uh, we'll be back again to refine and hone our craft next week. Keith, I'll talk to you then. And in uh, our last second together, uh, thoughts and prayers with the Jonas family, the passing of Judge Jim Jonas, probably, certainly if not the greatest Florida State fan, uh, it doesn't take long to call roll. So thoughts to Betty Lou and the family. Amen to that. I'm glad that you brought that up to the judge and uh, Betty Lou, both of whom uh, well, I knew the judge well, know Betty Lou well, and uh, thoughts and prayers with them for sure. All right, we're we're out of time. Condolences, and uh, we'll do this again next week on Front Row Halls. 